This morning we are bringing our teaching series in the book of Jonah to a close. It's been, uh, hopefully for you, definitely for me, an interesting and insightful and exciting four-week journey through this Old Testament prophet named Jonah. For many of us, a familiar story from our childhood, but as we look at it uh, as, as older people, as adults, as people who can kind of think for ourselves, we see in it so much richness of story, and really a story that does not portray Jonah as the hero of our childhood, but actually as the person who we should try to be the least like in the story. And this morning, this strange, weird, twisting book comes to a bizarre conclusion, right? There's a reason why chapter 4 never shows up in the Sunday school lessons of our youth. Because chapter 3 would be a perfect ending to the book. Jonah follows God, Nineveh repents, everything is well. But we have chapter 4 because a bigger part of the story of Jonah is God's pursuit of Jonah's heart. And there's still some issues there that have to be dealt with. And so what we really have in Jonah is someone who is at the pinnacle uh, of, of his career or his success. Uh, he's, he's just achieved a wonderful thing, and now what we're about to see is a grown man throw a temper tantrum. Have you ever seen this happen before? I don't know that I've ever seen it happen before, but when I was thinking about this, the best I could think of was if, if you've ever been to Disney World, this is kind of what Jonah chapter 4 feels like to me. You're in the happiest place on earth, and yet as you look around, there are Kids who are miserable, right? And, as the comedian Jim Gaffigan tells, and dads who are even more miserable, right? Grown men throwing internal temper tantrums. And, as fate would have it, I was one of those grown men and also one of those kids. My parents loved to tell the story of when they saved up to take us as kids to Disney World and uh, it was all exciting and everything, and apparently I was on this strange kick as a child that I was demanding to be called Nick, right? I, I have no idea why. Please don't call me Nick. I'm, I'm fine with my name. But this carried over into our family vacation to Florida, and apparently someone called me by my real name in Florida, and I lost it right there in the middle of the happiest place on earth down on the ground, kicking the ground, banging my head into the, the cement. And my dad picked me up and sat me on a bench. And apparently another father watched this happening, and their kid was throwing a tantrum. And he picked his kid up and came over and sat his kid next to me and said to my dad, let's go. <laughs> and... Whenever I would say to my parents, that couldn't have happened, right? They would pull out their old Super 8 videos, movies. Remember those, the, the big real movies? And there it is, me freaking out in the Magic Kingdom with some other guy who possibly wanted to be called Nick as well. I have no idea. In Jonah chapter 4, we have someone who has just seen something incredible happen, and he's throwing a temper tantrum. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Jonah chapter 4 with me. If it's easier for you to just listen along, feel free to do that. Jonah chapter 4, I'm actually starting chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned, this is the, the Ninevites, from their evil ways, he relented 
and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Now, prayer doesn't seem what this is actually happening here, but we'll take it. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, waited, for, uh, waited to see what might happen to the city. The Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry that I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, but you never tended to it, and you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died the same day. And should I not have concern then for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Story over. I told you it was weird, right? What I want to suggest to you in chapter 4 is this is a chapter that is a tale of two emotions. There is an emotion from Jonah that we have to deal with. And then underneath it all, we see an emotion from God that should change who we are. So let's, let's take a look at this. So Jonah's emotion is pretty easy. Jonah is angry, right? It's loud and clear. He's so angry, he wants to die. After all, he had just had his greatest professional success. Why not be angry, right? Now think about this for a minute. I'm not sure what your various professions are. And the students with us this morning, we've got teachers, we've got business people, doctors, so forth and so on. Imagine you had the best day of your career, right? I don't know exactly what that might look like for you, but here's Jonah, whose career is to speak the words of God that, that, bring, that does it in such a way that brings about the repentance of people. Now, mind you, God has told many prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, many of them before, hey, I'm commissioning you to do this, but by the way, no one's going to listen to you, right? Uh, and pastors get how that happens, right? So, but here all of a sudden we have in Jonah a whole city that listens to him and responds. This is the greatest day of his professional career. And he responds saying, you know what? This really ticks me off. I'm not happy about this at all. Something is happening deeper 
in Jonah's soul. And so God asks him a question. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Now, at first glance, you might think, well, God is kind of condescending. He's looking down his nose at Jonah. Jonah, what are you doing? Are you angry about this? Who do you think you are? Maybe we think God is kind of being passive-aggressive with Jonah. But really, I think what's going on here is that God is pursuing the depths of Jonah's heart and Jonah's soul. He loves him, and he wants him to see who God really is. Can I say something to you this morning? Plumbing the depths of our emotions is critically important for our spiritual transformation. Plumbing the depths of our emotions is critically important for our spiritual transformation. Our emotions are often keys in which we can, if we look to God, unlock what's actually happening far deeper in our souls. God is not kind of chastising him. What do you think you are being angry about this? He's asking him a question that is meant to force him to examine what's actually going on. Now, as human beings, we usually deal with our emotions in one of two ways when we think about it, right? The the easiest way we deal with it is we justify it. Of course I'm angry. Look at what happened. Can't you see what happened here? These are my enemies. They're the worst people in the world. And and you saved them and you rescued them and they're still going to oppress Israel and this is all bad. Of course I'm angry. I'm justified. We have another way that sometimes, it's not showing up here, but sometimes we deal with our emotions, and that is that we stuff them, right? Guilty, right here. We stuff them for one of two reasons. One, we don't want to be vulnerable in any way. Or two, we've bought into the lie of religion that we have to fix ourselves. So we just crush stuff, 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 and we never deal with what's actually going on that leads to these external emotions. So Jonah is justifying it, right? He says, of course I'm angry. Look what's going on here. This, anyone would be angry if they were in my shoes. And so he turns then and, and he heads out of town. Instead of staying and trying to help these Ninevites who are asking for God's forgiveness to understand who God is and how to pursue him and what it means to be in relationship with him, he hightails it out of town. He heads east, which is always Old Testament language for the wrong way, Right? And he sets up a tent. And he sets up a tent for shelter and comfort for himself, but ultimately because he's going to hang out there where he can still see the city and hope that things and circumstances change, right? We do this, don't we? We don't deal with the presenting emotions. We don't ask the questions that get at the deeper things that are going on. We either justify or stuff and then sit and hope that it goes away. And so here's Jonah on our Sunday school flanographs, sitting outside of Nineveh saying things like, there's no way they really meant what they said to God. He's going to have to judge them. I'm going to see fire and judgment, chastisement. Something's got to happen here. And I'm going to be in the front row to see it. And so God, rather than, again, at this point, just disowning Jonah, says, I'm going to keep pursuing him, and he heads outside the city with Jonah. And he does something fascinating. 
he causes a leafy plant to grow. Now, if you've ever been camping, you know that it was a mistake, right? In all seriousness, that was a joke. You can laugh. In all seriousness, there's two ways to camp. One is far more preferable than the other. You can either camp in the woods where there are things like trees that produce things like shade, or you can camp out in the wide open where you are open to all of the elements. And Jonah, it appears, is out in the open, and all he has for himself and his protection is a tent. And if you've ever been in a tent, you know that if it's hot outside, it's hot in the tent. And so what God does is he provides him space outside. He causes this plant to grow. He's providing comfort for Jonah so that Jonah can sit there and wait for judgment for others. This is fascinating what's going on here, right? And then just as the plant begins to provide for him everything he needs in that moment, it says God provided, you heard that language, right? God provided a worm. God does this. He provides worms sometimes. And the worm ate the tree. This is a crazy worm that gobbles this tree down in one day. And then God provided a scorching east wind. So Jonah's out of the tent now because it's hot in the tent. He's got the plant. The plant is gone. And now all of a sudden, whatever it is that is scorching comes on. And now all of a sudden, Jonah is there in an intense discomfort. And we get another emotional response from Jonah. And we see that again, Jonah is angry, right? He says, I just want to die. Now listen, I've been camping. I've been camping out in the open. I've experienced the scorching wind. And I understand how Jonah feels, all right? I just want you to know that. Jonah's like, I just want to die. And God asks him a question again. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Now he adds a couple more words about the plants. And Jonah says, yes, of course I'm angry about the plant. This plant provided me comfort. He says something fascinating about the plant. I loved it, right? All of a sudden, Jonah loves something. I loved this plant. And you took it away. I just want to die now. And all of a sudden, we are beginning to get deep into the soul of Jonah. Jonah doesn't care about a plant. He cared about what the plant did for him. And Jonah doesn't care about the Ninevites. He cares about the threat the Ninevites had towards him. And so all along, this anger is really about himself. Do you see this? See, God, Jonah is less frustrated with, his perceived, with God's perceived kindness towards the Ninevites than he actually is angry about his perception of God's unkindness towards himself. Do you see this? In other words, how could you do this to me? This is my enemy. This was my comfort. Jonah is enveloped in himself. In chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, Jonah's inside the whale, and he's praying this great prayer of gratitude for God's rescue of him. And he's about to say, okay, I'm going to go to Nineveh. And he makes this fascinating little statement that says, listen, because if you've got idols, you'll never embrace the love of God. And so someone's got to go talk to these Ninevites. Well, the person with a massive idol 
who therefore can't embrace the love of God is not so much the Ninevites, true of them, but really Jonah himself. And so God is persistent in pushing him deeper into this emotional reality. So we're forced to ask a difficult question, church. At the end of the day, why is Jonah being obedient to God? What is he even doing in Nineveh? And I think the circumstances lead us to the conclusion that Jonah is following God so that he can get from God, as opposed to following God in response to who God is. In other words, that Jonah is in an entitled relationship with God, not in an enamored relationship with God. Jonah is serving, following, checking religious boxes so that when he needs God, God will come through for him, a la a plant or the destruction of his enemies or a big midterm coming up or a promotion at the office, or a conflict with others. We know how this goes. And this is the danger of religion, church. I'll follow you, God, so that I can cash in when I need you. And many of us, either overtly or subconsciously, enter into relationship with God in this way. And Jonah is a flashing warning to us, that God calls us to pursue him out of love, not out of entitlement. And here Jonah sits and says, look at what I've done. I can hear him because I have vocational ministry, and sometimes I'll find myself saying this to God. God, look what I've done for you. I could have been a lawyer. I could have been, I don't know, something else but I followed your call into ministry. Now I need you over here. Can you make these things happen for me? Or maybe it's a little different for you. God, I I read my Bible every day. I pray, and I'm doing my best to, to, to live a moral and right life. Why am I dealing with this struggle in my life? This doesn't make sense. This isn't how it works. This is the trap of religion that says, hey, if you follow God, he'll make life good for you. Wrong. God says you were lost like a bunch of Ninevites. And unless I came and rescued you, you would be as lost now as you were then. And you owe me everything. I owe you nothing. You follow me because you love me, and I pursue you, God says, because I love you. Now, this is not to say that God's out there messing with us or twisting things just to prove that we don't really love him. The point is that God is after what is actually ultimately good for us, But we, like Jonah, don't always believe that's true, right? If we're being honest. Sometimes we see things happen and we wonder if God actually wants good for us. Because we would do it differently if we're being honest. And yet at the end of the day, 
if we truly believe that it's His love for us that causes God to pursue us, then we can end at no other place than that our love for God leads us to trust Him. And this is the breakdown of Jonah. This great emotion of anger, anger to the point of, I just want to die, I just want to be gone. This has happened three times in this book now. It has nothing to do with Nineveh. It has nothing to do with a leafy plant or a sinister worm or a brutally hot day on an ill-forgotten camping trip. It has everything to do with an entitled heart that believes that God owes him something. A heart that has never understood who God is and how much God loves him. So we're left with two takeaways, I think, as we process this last chapter of Jonah. The first is, let me ask you a question. What do you do when emotions arise in your life? Now, I'm not just talking about what we perceive as negative emotions like anger or sadness, but also positive emotions like happiness or excitement. You ever stop and ask, why, why am I so happy right now? And oftentimes we'll find good reason for it. Jesus was angry. Jesus was happy. I'm not saying suggesting to you every time there's something bad happening in there. But lest we pause to stop, we don't really know what's going on in our soul. What do we do with our emotions? Do we stuff them? Do we justify them? Or do we attempt to apply the gospel to them? This is what leads to significant transformation in our life. And then what is your actual view of God? I mean, just you and God right now, be honest. No one's going to ask you to write it down, submit it, raise your hand or anything. Is it a little bit more like Jonah? Where you're in an entitled relationship with God? God, look at me. Here I am on a Sunday morning in this church plant on these horrifically uncomfortable chairs. It's semi-hot. It's Labor Day weekend. Half the people aren't here. I wish I wasn't here. But here I am. I'm expecting some things here in this coming week, right? We think like this. Like even the most holy of us. Or have you become so enamored with God that you just love him and are pursuing him? And here's the big one, church. Willing to trust him. That he actually has and intends what is good for you. Two very different ways of pursuing God that if we're honest are right in front of us now. So Jonah's dealing with this emotion of anger real quickly. God has a very different emotion in this story, doesn't he? And his emotion, Jonah mocks him about it, is what we call compassion or loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed, a covenant love that that cannot be broken. Jonah's like, here you are again being compassionate. And God's probably like, and there you are again being angry like the jerk that you are, you know. But God's love, his compassion is actually what if we perceive it and we see it, what changes the dynamic for us in our relationship with him. It changes us from this entitled relationship that that perceives a God who is angry, that if I don't do the right things, he's not going to bless me, right? If I don't do the right things, if I don't go to church, read my Bible, do all these things, it's religion, uh, things could go bad for me, but if I do them, then I expect him to do the right things for me. It changes that when we see that he's actually full of compassion, to a heart that is actually enamored with him. That he would actually pursue us in these radical ways. Look at his compassion for the Ninevites. 
He compares them to the plant, doesn't he? He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And he says some things about it. You didn't plant it. You didn't cause it to grow. He's saying something about the Ninevites when he says that, right? Why are you angry about the Ninevites? You didn't plant them. You didn't cause them to grow. His implication is that God did. That God created them. That he loves them. That he has in some strange way, even though they're living rebellious lives, been providing protection for them and cover for them and what theologians would call common grace for them. And he's been pursuing them relentlessly through many things and now ultimately through the prophecy of Jonah. God has compassion for them. And then not just for them, but compassion for Jonah. I mean, listen, if any of us are being honest, we would have given up, I've said this every single sermon, we would have given up on Jonah a long time ago, right? And repicked teams and picked a better player than Jonah for the success of this mission that we had. But not God. Because after all, the mission will be successful as God intends it to. A bigger part of the thing is that God is actually pursuing Jonah. He loves him. He created him. He caused him to grow. And even in spite of his rebellion, as self-righteous as it might be, rather than overt rebellion like the Ninevites, he continues to pursue him because he loves him. Now we're left with a cliffhanger in this book, right? God's like, hey, you have any right to be angry with the plant? Jonah's like, yeah, I'm ticked about the plant. God's like, look at this, look at How how can you be angry about a plant and then not angry about 120,000 people who can't tell they're left from their right? They're lost. They're confused. They're lost. And then a weird, very weird ending. And what about the cows, Jonah? (laughs) What about the animals, Jonah? Don't you care about the animals? I don't know how we're supposed to respond to that. I'll just be honest with you. Maybe, maybe not. And so we ask ourselves a fair question. What becomes of Jonah? Does he become a hermit on the side of this mountain, still waiting for the destruction of Nineveh, or does something change? We can't know conclusively, but I would suggest to you this morning, I think something changed in Jonah's heart. I think somehow the pondering the depths of this emotion and God's relentless pursuit of Jonah changed things for Jonah. And I can only give you one piece of evidence for it, so perhaps this is flimsy. But my evidence is the book of Jonah exists. Now think about it. If you were Jonah, would you type this up? Would you submit this for publication? Right? You're the only one that has experienced most of this. Fish, like the sailors could have talked about, but from the belly of the fish all the way to the vomiting on the land, to the great success that leads to your temper tantrum, to sitting on the side yelling at God because of his compassion. Are you telling this story? Are you publishing this story? Right? But Jonah submits his Super 8 videotapes of little Adam throwing a temper tantrum, I think, because something different, something profound has changed in his heart that allows him to say, look at me. Look at how foolish I was. 
But even more importantly, look at our God. Look at how relentlessly he pursued me in my overt self-righteous rebellion. And in so doing, knowingly and through the inspiration of the Spirit, would say to many church-going people like me, and perhaps you, you're a little bit like me, aren't you, Adam? A profound movement of grace happens when the world is caused to see not Jonah's failures alone, but God's unconditional love. Listen, maybe you're a little bit more like Nineveh. Overt rebellion, God, forget you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to run my own show. I have news for you this morning. God loves you. He's pursuing you. It does not matter what you've done, where you've been, or where you are currently headed. He is pursuing you, and he loves you with a relentless love. Or maybe you're a little bit more like Jonah, self-righteous, perhaps snobbish. Entitled, God, you owe me. I've been checking these gold stars since childhood on my religious education pages. I have news for you. God loves you. He is pursuing you. He is relentlessly after your heart, not your external obedience, your heart. Because he loves you. Jesus told a parable of two sons and a father. Father had a great inheritance to give to these sons, and the younger son said, Dad, just give me my inheritance now. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go do what I want. And so the father gave it to him, and he went and did what he wanted. And of course, he blew it. He lived a wayward lifestyle. His money was gone. He was tending to pigs. His life was in, in tatters, and he came back on his knees to his dad, wondering if he could get a job for his dad so that he could earn some money. Little did he know that his dad was constantly looking for him. And he saw him off in the distance as he came. And he went back into the house and he got the royal robe and he slaughtered the royal cow and he, and he held a great feast and put the, the family's royal ring on, his young, on the younger son's finger and he welcomed him back with full inheritance. No judgment, no punishment, no purgatory. If you're a little bit more like Nineveh this morning, you're kind of like a younger brother. The God that I know and serve is looking for you and calling you home. And when the younger brother came home, the older brother was, you guessed it, angry. Right? Because after all, he had stayed. And he had worked hard for his dad. And he had done everything he was supposed to do. And now all of a sudden, a great feast for this man? And the royal robe and the royal... Ring, how could he do this for this man? And the dad turned to the older brother and said, he was gone, but now he's back. You have every, everything I have is yours. The older man, the older brother, his problem was religion, right? I worked hard for this. I deserve it. He doesn't. And he failed to understand that God is an equal distributor of compassion. And oftentimes when we live in a world of entitlement, we fail to realize 
the compassion and the goodness of God that we are ingesting day after day after day and think we deserved it. And therefore, when we see him reach out to someone who is far, it frustrates us. Maybe you're a little bit more like Jonah this morning. You're an older brother. And this morning, the father says, everything I have is yours. You are welcomed. How can we be sure of this? Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 said that someone far greater than Jonah has arrived. And of course he meant himself. So in Jonah we have someone who sneers at a city and a crowd because they're his enemies. But in Jesus we have someone who weeps over a city and crowd. Remember when Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't understand. Even while they were his enemies. In Jonah, we have someone who pitches his tent outside of the city. In Jesus, we have someone who pitches his tent in our midst. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and he dwelt, literally pitched his tent amongst us. In Jonah, we have someone who goes outside of the city to await its destruction In Jesus, we have someone who on his way to the cross went outside of the city to ensure our salvation. In Jonah, we have someone who when faced with the reality of salvation wanted to die. And in Jesus, we have someone who willingly died to ensure our salvation. If this doesn't ring true to you, then I haven't said it well. And if it does our only response is to be enamored with a God who loves us relentlessly. I pray this morning that you would reckon deeply in your soul with God's love for you. Can I pray?